Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the vineyard. So glad you're here. Come on in, come on in. Let's find our spots. All right, everybody good? Oh, how many of you guys went to uh, Hardened Coffee last night? Woo, woo, that was fun, wasn't it? A couple things to take away from last night. Uh, number one, there are more talented people here at the vineyard than you can shake a stick at. I don't even know what that means. Uh, And the other thing to take away from last night is that our community is desperate, with a capital D, desperate for something to do. (laughs) You know? My my wife, she went on the first shift. I I put the the baby down. I went for the late shift. I figured nobody would be there. It was packed. So packed. So really, really cool. Uh, love seeing stuff like that happen. Love seeing stuff like that happen with vineyard people who are willing to like invest and put something on for the community. It's a, it's a really good thing. It's part of our Jesus heart. <clears throat> Throwing a party is a part of the Jesus heart, in case you didn't know. But that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to continue on in our series called Get Wisdom. And this series is a four-week dealio And we're walking sort of through the book of Proverbs, or at least the book of Proverbs is the backdrop to everything we're going to be talking about. This morning, we're going to be talking out of Proverbs chapter 7. We started it last week. We're going to continue this week. We're going to do two more weeks after this. And I hope that you're reading at least one chapter of Proverbs every single day. Because if you do so, uh, over the course of this series, over the course of this month, you'll be able to work your way through the entire book. And what we want to do is, sort of the idea here is we want to we get wisdom, but we want to allow Proverbs to be sort of the lyrical backdrop, crying babies. We want Proverbs to be sort of the lyrical backdrop to our lives. Really simple. And in order to do so, we're encountering the scripture. So why don't we put up Proverbs chapter 7. We're going to read all 27 verses. We hardly ever do that. We're going to read the whole ding-dang thing this morning. We're going to start with verse 1. It goes like this. My son, keep my words and store up my commandments within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your art. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Why don't we just do that? You are my sister. That was terrible. Let's do that again. Come on, everyone with one voice. One, two, three. You are my sister. And to insight... You are my relative. That was decent. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice and I saw among the simple, I noticed noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, comma, as the day was fading, comma, as the dark of night had set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, with crafty intent. She is unruly. She is defiant. Her feet never stay at home. There's a, the next time you want to put someone down, there's a good one. You, you, your feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, and at every corner she lurks, she took hold of him and she kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you, I looked for you, and I have found you. 
I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. It's the good stuff. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. I don't want to get in a bed filled with aloe. Just saying. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he will not be home till the full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into the noose, like an arrow pierces, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, and by extension, daughters, Listen to me and pay attention to what I have to say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims that she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave. I I like to redo that. Her house is a highway to hell. I I like the ACDC version of that. Every time I read it this week, it's all I could think. Leading down to the chambers of death. the text for this morning. Everybody feeling good about that text? It's really uplifting. Well, we'll start here. The early part of Proverbs, those first few chapters there at the beginning, uh, they have a lot of themes and they're all of, all of the themes at the beginning of the book of Proverbs are sort of the foundation for everything that will be said later, uh, which sort of makes sense. And uh, Much of the way that Proverbs is framed is it's framed as a father or a mother speaking to their son or their daughter. Uh, This is how you get wisdom. You get it from your mom and your dad and receive it. But some of the themes, several themes that kind of get repeated over and over if you read it, a couple of the themes that get repeated right up front are are this. Number one, you have to get wisdom. You have to pursue it. Uh, And the reason you have to get wisdom and pursue it is what we talked about last week. Uh, Because nobody's born wise, everybody's born an idiot, and the only way to get wisdom is to be humble enough to admit that you don't know everything and go get it. Uh, You you don't grow wisdom like you grow a femur. It doesn't happen. You have to pursue it. Okay, That's one of the early foundations of the book of Proverbs. And then the second one is really odd. Over and over, especially chapters 5, 6, and 7, if you read there, over and over again, Solomon, or the father here in this case, is speaking to his son and says, hey, look, you want to get wisdom? Here's what you got to do. You got to stay away from the adulteress and you got to stay away from the prostitute. And this, this, this theme of the adulteress and the prostitute keeps getting brought up over and over again. And in some way, and in somehow, and hopefully we'll see it before the end of the morning, somehow, some way, this idea of staying away from the prostitute and staying away from the adulteress is part of acquiring wisdom for your life. Now, this passage that we just read this morning, Proverbs chapter 7, this passage is one that can be read on many different levels. Uh, Now, this is not just true of Proverbs 7. It's actually true of the entire Bible, but certain passages really highlight this in in greater degrees than others. Uh, This is a passage that, in order to really grab hold of what it has to say to us, in order to grab hold of what it has uh, for our lives, we have to read it in a way that I would call three-dimensionally. Uh, now, this is, 
This takes some reflection, and the, and the difficulty here is that you and I are growing up in a culture that has not engendered and has not taught us to be reflective or meditative people. And so typically what we do, if we read the Scripture at all, if we read the Scripture at all, typically what we do is we read things in 2D, flat, and we don't read them in 3D, the way they were meant. Now here's the thing. If you read the Scripture two-dimensionally, if you read it, uh, and by two-dimensionally I mean just on the surface, just flat, just kind of what's on top, if you read the scripture two-dimensionally like this, it, you'll, you'll get some stuff. It'll, it'll be good for you. The truth is to read the scripture in a flat, two-dimensional way is better than not reading the scripture at all. But in order to grab hold of what it really has to say, you have to be able to read it in three dimensions. It's the difference, it's the difference between a two-dimensional drawing and a three-dimensional sculpture. It's the difference between a animated movie, and real-life flesh-and-blood people. Does this make sense? How many of you understand that oftentimes stories are happening at many levels? How many of you understand that sometimes movies and the media that we take in, they're telling us a story, but then there's all these other stories that are underneath it, and the stuff that's underneath is actually what's most important. The Bible's the same way. These guys are artists. They're not just telling you the truth, but they're packaging it in a way that actually causes the truth to go deeper, run wider, and truer. Does this make sense? Okay. So you have to read it in a lot of different ways. Now, if you read this scripture, the one that we just looked at here this morning, if you read it in a two-dimensional manner, it'll be a blessing to you. But if you're going to get the rich reward, you have to go 3D. And um, what I want to do at this point, I want to show you a video. I want to show you a video this morning of a song. Before we play the video, I want to set it up for you just a little bit. This is a song written by an American singer-songwriter named Josh Ritter, and this song is called The Curse. And I'll tell you what the song is about, at least just a little bit. The song is about a female archaeologist who digs up a mummy. The mummy comes to life. They fall in love, and you'll see what happens. But here's what I want you to do. While you're listening to this song, and while you're watching, to this, video, while you're watching this video, I don't want you to just watch this in 2D. I want you to watch, and I want you to listen in three dimensions. What is Josh Ritter trying to tell us beyond the fact that there's a woman, archaeologist, who digs up a mummy, and they fall in love? What is he trying to tell us beyond that? Let's show that. his eyes, falls in love at first sight with the girl in the doorway with beautiful lines, how full of life after thousands of years, what a face to wake up to, he holds back a sigh as she touches his arm, she dusts off the bed where till now he's been sleeping under miles of stone, the dry figure of his heart, under scarab and bone, starts back to Beating. She carries him home in a beautiful boat. He watches the sea 
from a porthole in storage. He can hear all she says as she sits by his bed, and one day his lips answer her in her own language. The days quickly pass. He loves making her laugh. The first time he moves, it's her hair that he touches. She asks, "Are you cursed?" He says, "I think that I'm cured." Then he talks of the Nile and the girls in bulrushes. Crowd round to see him, but each night she comes round, and the two wander down the halls of the tomb that she calls a museum. Often he stops to rest, but then less and less. Then it's her that looks tired, staying up asking questions. He learns how to read from the papers that she is writing about him, and he makes corrections. It's his face on a book, or more. Then one day it's too much. He decides to get up, and this chaos ensues. He walks outside to find her. She's using a cane, and her face looks too pale. But she's happy to see him as they walk. He supports her. She asks, "Are you cursed?" But his answer's obscured in a sandstorm of flashbulbs and rowdy. She's just one more rag now. He's dragging behind him. She stops going out. She just lies there in bed in hotels and whatever towns they are speaking. Then her face starts to set and her hands start to fold. And one day the drug figure of her heart stops its beat. Think of the man's an immense invitation. She asked, "Are you cursed?" He said, "I think that I'm cured." Then he kissed her and hoped that she'd forget that question. You didn't think we were going to do that this morning at church. 
It's a strange song, right? But it's also hauntingly beautiful. It's like a piano waltz. So in a two-dimensional way, in a flat way, it's just a story about some archaeologist lady who falls in love with a mummy who somehow comes to life and in the end, the curse kills her. By the way, there's always a curse on every Egyptian tomb, right? It's, it's part of the story. Like there has to be a curse on the Egyptian tomb so that when grave robbers come, they won't steal all the king's treasure, right? So on one level, it's just that story. But how many of you understand that maybe Josh Ritter wasn't exactly hoping to tell America a story about a mummy who comes to life and killing the woman he loves because he's cursed? How many of you understand that maybe he wanted to tell a different story? Maybe he wanted to tell a different story, but he wanted to do it by wrapping it in another story. Maybe he wanted to entertain us, and in the process of entertaining us, he wanted to set a hook and as we sit with it, give us the needle. That's part of what great storytelling does. So maybe it's not just about a woman who falls in love with a mummy and ends up dying from the curse. But maybe, maybe what this song is about, maybe what this song is about is something that everybody in the room has experienced. Maybe what this song is about is something that everybody in the room might experience. Maybe you haven't fallen in love with a mummy. Maybe you never will. But maybe, maybe what this song is about is this. What if this song is really about being an archaeologist? What do archaeologists do? They dig. What else do archaeologists do? That's the right answer, by the way. Study the past. What else do they do? piece history together they 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 dig after stuff they search they look they read about stuff and then they go and look for it they they search they're on a they're on a quest they they take history and they try to locate it and they try to dig down to it and put their hands on it maybe what this song is about is maybe it's just about this really common human thing of being an archaeologist maybe it's about being somebody who's looking for something maybe it's about being somebody who's looking for something has always been looking for something always searching for something always digging it and then one day actually ending up finding the thing you always wanted the thing you always had been searching for and the thing you'd always been digging only to realize that the thing you always wanted always searched for and always dug for ends up killing you whoa anybody here ever done that Anybody in here ever been bitten by the thing you thought you wanted? Yeah, three-dimensional stories. Proverbs 7 is a three-dimensional story. On one level, it's just a straightforward warning about staying away from the adulteress and not going and hanging out with prostitutes. By the way, that's really good advice. It's great advice. Adultery ruins lives. Uh, if we could probably tell some stories this morning, even in this room, about people whose lives have been ruined by adultery. Probably can. Nothing good, nothing good ever comes from play, playing fast and loose with our sexuality. You go start sleeping around with a bunch of people who are not your wife and not your husband, and you will end up in a disaster. Every time. My office has been filled with people whose hearts have been broken by playing fast and loose with their sexuality. 
So on one level, it's good advice. Lots of people have been ruined. Lots of people have been touched and heartbroken because of unfaithfulness. Husbands, wives, and kids all over the world, they bear the scars of unfaithfulness. And there's probably nothing that I know of, probably nothing that I know of, at least in my history of being a pastor, nothing has wounded people more and nothing has wounded people deeper than adultery and unfaithfulness. Those scars stay with people. They just stay with people. The only, the only thing that ever touches that scar is Jesus. Ever. Ever. So it's good advice. Church, listen. Don't commit adultery. It's good advice. If you'd like to be wise, don't sleep with people that you're not married to. Adultery always gets found out. This is always one of the things about adultery. It always gets found out. The story always comes out. But the text has further implications. It's more than just... Don't commit adultery. The text has further implications, especially if we take Proverbs 7 and we were to connect it, we were to connect it with Matthew 5. This is where Jesus has something to say. He says, you've heard, that it was says, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is actually saying, he's starting here in his Sermon on the Mount to get to what Proverbs 7 is actually trying to get down to. And it's this idea that adultery is not just an act, but it's a state of the heart. It's a state of the heart. It's a heart position. It's why so many, it's why so many people, both men and women, are captured by pornography. And it's why pornography is so devastating. Even if you don't commit actual adultery, if you get tangled up with pornography, it can ruin your heart. Why? Because adultery isn't just what you do with your actual body. It's what's going on on the inside. It's what Jesus is getting here but even at this level we haven't totally begun to read the text in its fullest sense for instance a few questions here for instance what happens if you read proverbs 7 what happens if you're just some morning you have your coffee and you read proverbs 7 and you're not currently in an adulterous affair what happens if you've never committed adultery and you read proverbs 7 what if you're not looking at porn these days what if you haven't even looked at pornography in two months two whole months What if we approach the passage and assume that it's talking to someone else? Well, if we approach the passage and we assume it's talking to someone else, we'll just jump right over it. And the only way to jump right over it is not just by assuming that it's for someone else, but it is actually a manifestation of being completely committed to a certain kind of worldview, which is only seeing things in two dimensions. How many of you understand that the whole Bible is for us, not them? In fact, there is no us versus them. It's just us. So every time I come to something in the scripture, even if it doesn't seem like it might be for me, it's for me. Now, when I realize that, it forces me to sit with the passage. It forces me to sit with the text and to say, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to get across to me? What are you trying to get across to me? What the scripture this morning is saying is a step or two beyond the surface. What it's saying is this. Proverbs 7 is a warning against living an adulterous life. Proverbs 7 is a warning against having a prostituted soul. Adultery is not just an act. It's a way of being. It's a complete way of being. And the adulterous way of being is it's the total opposite of wisdom. 
That's the reason that it's put in the book of Proverbs. You got wisdom, you got the good kind of life, you got, you got the kind of life that proceeds from the heart of God, the wise life, and then you have the adulterous life. This is the two ideas that are being placed in opposition. And the adulterous kind of life is the total opposite of wisdom. Long before anyone ever becomes entangled in an adulterous affair, one has an adulterous heart. Long before anyone ever entertains the company of a prostitute, one lives with a prostituted worldview. Uh, Not only that, but many people who have remained clean of actual adultery and many people who have been faithful to their spouses have lived with the germ of adultery poisoning every single decision, every relationship, and all of their heart motivations. Even people who live with that kind of heart, even it's possible to live with an an adulterous heart but never actually commit the singular sin of adultery. It's possible to... It's possible to live with a prostituted soul, and in doing so, it actually poisons everything we do. Even if we never go and see a prostitute, even if we never commit adultery, it becomes our way of being. And because this is a possibility, Proverbs 7 is actually current for everybody in the room. It's a way of being. We'll do a little back and forth here for a minute. Because the writer of Proverbs, because Solomon is comparing wisdom and an adulterous heart, we'll just go back and forth for a moment. First thing I'd like to say is this. Wisdom, wisdom is, if it's anything, it's faithful and it's loyal. What is wisdom? It's faithful and loyal. Let's put up Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. He says, let love and faithfulness... Some translations say love and loyalty. Let, I like love and loyalty. I like the alliteration. Let love and loyalty never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What, what is wisdom? Wisdom is, it is love and it is loyalty. It's, it's faithful. It's true. And I love the image here. He says, bind them around your neck. Now, I don't know how you would bind love and loyalty around your neck, but if you were able to do so, if you were to write it on a piece of paper and put it around your neck, how many of you understand that that would be a sign both to you that you could see, but then also to everyone else around you? And if everybody can see it like that, then what you're essentially saying to everyone around you is, uh, I'm going to walk in wisdom, and what this means is I'm going to treat you with love and loyalty in every single way. So wisdom is in in some way, some really basic way, it is faithfulness and loyalty. Adultery is, adultery is faithlessness and selflessness, selfishness. The wise life is faithful and loyal. The adulterous life is faithless and it is selfish. Wisdom is open and wisdom is good. Adultery is secret and adultery is cancerous. Wisdom is long-term and adultery is always short-sighted an instant. Now, you got to take this out of just our own sexual proclivities. You got to start. You, you got to start amplifying this through your life. Uh, we got a lot of different kinds of people in the room. Uh, one of the ways that you live with an adulterous heart is if you want everything now and whatever is easy. Being totally committed to what is easy and what is now will poison your heart. Wisdom is always long term and what is right, regardless of how easy it is right now. Wisdom is long term. Adultery is short sighted and instant. 
Adultery is now-oriented. Wisdom is, in many ways, delayed gratification. Adultery is, gr- is driven by what seems is easy, but in the end is doubly painful. Wisdom, on the other hand, wisdom is driven by the knowledge that there is no easy, just daily. There is no easy. Some of us are looking for easy. There is no easy. Not going to find it. There is no easy. Wisdom realizes that there is no easy. There's just daily. It's the difference between an affair and marriage. They both work. They're, both of them are work. But one is perpetuated by the lie of easy pleasure. See, that's the problem with an affair. You think, oh, I'll just get away with this. It'll be easy. This makes me feel good. Blah, blah, blah. No, actually, it ends up becoming double the pain on the back end. Marriage is actually really hard work, and, and, and there's no way around it. Both of them are work, but one of them is perpetuated the lie, by the lie that it's going to be easy. The wise life is, is the humble acceptance that there's going to be most, most of the stuff that you really want and desire and love are not going to be easy. They're going to be difficult. Right now, the world is, capture, is captured in so many ways by adulterous living, but wisdom's calling out. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to quickly look at the Scripture, and we're going to see how some of what we've just talked about is in the text. Let's look at verses 4 through 5. Chapter 7, verses 4 through 5. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, you are my relative. Wisdom is familial. Wisdom is familial. Or to put it another way, wisdom is relational. Look at the scriptures. You're my sister. You're my relative. And it's not just, it's not just casual relational, but it's, it's, it's the ultimate relationships. It's the family. It's the family. A couple things here. If wisdom is relational and if it's familial like this, and it is, a couple things. Number one uh, is this. You and I belong to wisdom's family. You and I belong to wisdom's family, and to act otherwise is to, de- is to deny our truest heritage. So w- if you and I start running around being foolish, we're actually denying who we really are. Wisdom is our sister. She's our sister. And, and then secondly, how do you treat your sister? How do you treat your sister? <clears throat> well, let me ask you this. What kind of person, what kind of person would take advantage of their sister. Let's say just let's just say business. What kind of person would take advantage of their sister's foolishness and work a business deal that screws her over and lines your pockets? What kind of brother would do that? A terrible brother. No one would do that. I mean, we know that people do sometimes, but we also know that they're rotten, right? They're foolish. No one would do that. So what is Solomon trying to say to us here? He's saying, he's saying this, wisdom is familial, wisdom is relational, and it means that you and I should orient our lives around not just what's good for me, but we have to begin to orient our lives around what's good for everyone. Relationships that aren't treated with familial respect are adulterous uh, and ultimately subject to manipulation and control. See, here's the thing. If we... If we don't begin to build this kind of heart inside of us, one of the things that we'll do uh, in our relationships, uh, in our business dealings, uh, anything that we do, we will, we will begin to work the calculus with the spirit of the age. The calculus of the spirit of the age works like this. I don't care what's good for you as long as it's good for me. And if you're willing to agree with it, well, screw you, right? 
That's not wisdom. Wisdom is never what's good for me. Wisdom is always what's good for us. Why? Because you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't mess your sister over, not even if she was an idiot, you wouldn't mess your sister over. A good brother would take care of her sister even if she was foolish. Amen? Wisdom is relational. It's relational, it's, and it's family relational. It's saying, I'm not going to do this just for me. It's not about what's good for me. It's about what's good for us. As soon as you begin to take on that, that worldview, you have taken a huge step into what's wise. How many of you understand that won't be easy, that'll be hard? How many of you understand it'll sometimes be hard not to look at a foolish person and go, they won't even know they're getting a raw deal? Yeah, you guys ever watch that show, American Pickers? Right? Yeah, my two boys, they're addicted to American Pickers. There's one thing that I love, and it doesn't happen every episode, but occasionally on American Pickers, you know, Mike, uh, the, 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 the energetic one, He's the guy who's always running over top of the piles and digging through things. Occasionally, someone will have something to sell, and, and, and Michael will say, well, what do you want for it? And they'll say, well, I, I want 20 bucks for it. And he goes, uh, how about I give you 150 You all ever seen him do that? What, what is he doing right there? What is he, he's, demonstrating, he's demonstrating in a profound way that I'm not into business that isn't good for us. It's got to be good for us. It's not, just, it's, it's not just good for me. It's got to be good for us. And how many of you understand that's actually really wise? Why? Because, see this now. Why? Because Mike is actually long-term. He's not short-term. He could take a short-term profit on this guy, but what's going to happen when this guy watches the episode on TLC, realizes that Mike gave him $20 for something that was worth 700 and when Mike goes back to Tennessee to buy something else from that guy, what's he going to tell him? Get off my property, right? Do you all see how this works? It's relational. It's relational. It's got to be good for us. And when it's good for us, it's actually, we're, we're sowing into our future rather than just this one moment. Hope you can see that. On the other hand, the adulterous life, the, the adulterous life is always just transactional. It isn't relational. The opposite of relational is transactional. It's transactional. We can see this. We can see this in verse 10. There's a young man, he's going out in the cover of dark. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wildly of heart. She is loud. She is loud. Adulterous, adulterous stuff is almost always loud and over the top. Wisdom is almost always quiet and unnoticed. She's loud. Her feet do not stay at home. She's in the street. She's in the market. Why is she in the street and why is she in the market? It's really simple. She has something to sell. What's the point? Wisdom is relational and it's family. Adulterous heart stuff, transactional. Transactional. I really don't care about you. I just want to do the deal. And all of this is under the guise of affection. All of this is under the guise of affection. Now, by the way, it's, it's false affection. It's not real affection. It's just paid for affection. How many of you know if you're paying for affection, it's not really affection? kind of like those family photos where everybody dresses up like like somebody from the old west and you know just because just because mom looks like miss kitty and just because just because i don't know just because just because daddy put on Wyatt Earp's hat how many of you understand how many of you understand daddy ain't Wyatt Earp and mama ain't miss kitty it's just transactional we just paid for it it's not the real deal 
See, the adulterous heart, the adulterous heart is a flattering heart. It's transactional, and because it's transactional, there has to be deception there. And the number one deception that comes out of a transactional adulterous heart is always flattery. It's telling you all this good stuff. If you meet somebody, this is just a thing. If you meet somebody and within two or three minutes of them meeting you, they begin to gush about what a good person you are, how awesome you are, how amazing you are, and how you're so good and how you're so pretty and how you're so kind. You need to run. Because what you're running into most likely is somebody who's trying to control you. This is what flattery is. Flattery is telling people what we know they want to hear so that they will be vulnerable to my agenda. And this is ultimately a ruined, adulterous heart. Now, here's the thing. This flattery deal, this actually works both ways. Uh, Here at the Vineyard, we we don't want to be flattery people. We don't want to be telling people things they want to hear so that we can control them. That's not who we want to be. The other thing we don't want to be is we also don't want to be people who can be controlled by flattery. We want to be wise. We want to be able to hear right through that stuff. Um, if you, because if you haven't encountered it, you will. Um, chances are you did encounter it, and you may have been so foolish you didn't even know you encountered it. We don't want to be people who can be controlled by flattery. Uh, people who can be controlled by flattery are people with with really broken self-image and uh, people who are so insecure and they need the touch of Jesus to speak to it. Like people who are profoundly, profoundly insecure. Yeah, you can be controlled by flattery. It's probably one of the reasons that girls tell each other on Instagram they're so pretty all the time. (laughs) I told Heather last night, I thought that 80% of the internet was girls telling each other they were pretty. I don't know. but here's the point the point is this the only proper place for promises is actual covenant relationship that's the only proper place for promises it's the reason that jesus says let your yes be yes and your no be no nothing more why it's the wise life a bunch of gushing lots and lots of words you're so awesome watch out i don't even know what point we're on now we'll just move along Wisdom, wisdom is open, wisdom is filled with light, and whatever there is to know with wisdom can be known. However, the adulterous life, the prostituted soul, it's secret, it's hidden, it's covered up, and it's happening under the cover of night. I'll read you a scripture here. It's out of chapter 7. The young man who's going out to meet the adulterous woman says, I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street corner near her house, taking the road by her house. Look, in the twilight, comma, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. The time of night and darkness is symbolic for secret. Secret. Whatever is hidden, whatever is covered up, Whatever is concealed is rotten. Whatever is hidden is ruinous. And whatever you can't talk about owns you. This is a thing that we keep coming back to here at the Vineyard for the last couple weeks. Whatever you can't talk about owns you. We probably have some of those issues in the room this morning. Probably had some earlier this morning at first service too. This is also another aspect of 
the prostituted soul and the adulterous heart. It is, it's the secret heart. It is the covered up. It's the concealed. It's the, I won't talk about that. I won't let that be known. And while I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but think of this reality in terms of business. This is, this is where we have to go. We, we have to really get this in our hearts, that if it's not good for everyone, it's not kingdom. We also have to get in our hearts that when it comes to business, if it requires the cover of night, it's adulterous. Like if, like if we would be uncomfortable with, seeing people, with people seeing how our books are run, it's adulterous. If we, if we, if we need, if, if the plan hinges on a secret, it's adulterous. Uh, we, have to, we have to realize that if it's concealed and transactional, those are adulterous heart stuff, it's got the germs of disaster pre-written into its genetic code. See, the spirit of the age says, when it comes to business, that just whatever you can get away with, get away with it. You know, if the IRS is not hot on your tracks, keep going. That is, this is, that is not wisdom. That is short-sighted gains. And it, in, in, from the very first moment, from the seminal moment, it has written into its genetic code, disaster. Then also, I can't help but think of relationships when I'm thinking through this passage. Um, for instance, if I'm interested, if I'm only interested in people because of how I can network with them, this means more to some people in the room than it will mean to other people. But once you start doing a few things, uh, you will quickly realize that sometimes people just want to know you for who that you can connect them to. That's an adulterous spirit. It's transactional. It's not relational anymore. It's just transactional. I've become a commodity. And it's possible for me to treat people like commodities. Little stair steps or little rungs on the ladder so I can actually get up and ring the bell that I want to get to. I can step all over people. If I'm interested only because of how I can network, if it sounds good, but really it's just a mechanical transaction, uh, also if it's instant, if there's, if there's something in the relationship that is, that is manipulated or controlled for some sort of instant turnaround or instant gain, it's, it's adulterous. Uh, if it's filled with promises and a complete inability to address difficulties or, or a complete unwillingness to address any sort of difficulty like if you've got some relationships and there's an unwillingness to talk about some difficulties there's an inability to communicate those keep them concealed keep them covered under the blanket we don't talk about that those are the atmospheres that an adulterous heart and an adulterous life grows from finally finally at the end of the scripture this morning adultery is a trap whereas freedom is always in wisdom. Both pleasure and disaster is sudden. This is the thing about the adulterous heart. The pleasure and the disaster is sudden. But with wisdom, there's freedom. We'll look at verses 21 through 23. Seductive speech, she persuades him. Smooth talk, she compels him. Really interesting stuff here. And then all at once, this young foolish guy... All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Stop. Are oxes big or small? I don't know. What? Big. Are oxes strong or weak? Big, strong ox. All right. Or as a stag is caught fast. I think I had something different here. As a deer stepping into a noose. And the language here is a little bit weird. It's actually, this is actually a, Big male 
buck deer with giant antlers. Strong ox, big ox, buck deer, big antlers. All of these are symbols of strength, aren't they? All of them are caught, aren't they? Then look at this. As a bird rushes into a snare. How many of you have ever tried to catch a bird with your hands? I mean, unless it's a baby who just fell out of the nest on accident, how many of you understand you can't do that? Why? Because birds are quick and they're crafty. So here's what we've got. This is what Solomon is saying. He's saying when, when you give in to the adulterous way of life, when you give in to an adulterous heart, when you forsake wisdom, here's what it's like. It's like a big, strong ox. It's like a big, strong buck deer and a quick and a crafty bird that gets snared. And what is the snare? This is what's so interesting. Words. With seductive speech, she persuades them. The biggest, strongest animals led to slaughter with words. The wildest, fastest buck deer led to captivity through words. A crafty bird left to captivity by words. The adulterous heart is ultimately ruinous. Ruinous. And then here's what's really interesting. Look at what it says here. Like a deer steps into the noose, then this little phrase gets thrown in there. Like a deer steps into a noose, and really the picture here is of its antlers getting caught in tree branches. Like a deer that gets caught in the rushes. And then verse 23, till an arrow pierces his liver. Now here's why I think that's really interesting. Because as Solomon is telling this story, as he's beginning to relate this proverb, how many of you understand that if he has creative license, he could have had this deer, he could have had this deer killed in any number of ways, and the arrow could have touched any organ, right? Why the liver? Let me ask you another question. What does your liver do? I think you know. What does it do? Filters out what? Toxins. Filters out toxins from what? Your blood. Filters out toxins from your body and your blood. Filters out impurities. Might be another way to say it. Isn't this interesting? If you give yourself to an adulterous life, not only will you get caught, not only will you get snared, but eventually, eventually death will come because your ability to remain pure gets cut off. Eventually, you'll get so toxic. Eventually, an arrow will get shot right into your toxic capturing factory, and you'll be dead. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. It's interesting how little tiny decisions end up growing. They end up growing. They end up gaining momentum. They end up gaining speed. They end up gaining traction until in the end, until the end, the fatal wound comes because there's a complete inability to remain pure. So what is the adulterous life? It's the impure life. Like the further we go in impurity, and by the way, what what happens to impurity? It always has to be covered up, doesn't it? Because we don't like people knowing where we're impure, right? Like if I've got a porn problem, the last thing I want to do is get up here and tell you guys about it. So I'll conceal it. 
I'll conceal it. I'll hide it. You know, if I, if I beat my wife, the last thing I want to do is get up here and tell you guys how I'm beating my wife. If I'm cheating on my taxes, the last thing I want to do is to get up here and tell everybody how I'm cheating on my taxes. I don't want to do a seminar for how I cheat on my taxes. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to conceal it. I'm going to keep it under the cover of night. All of this is adultery. All of it is adulterous heart. Everything you can't talk about. Everything that's transactional rather than relational. Everything that works in those currents will eventually catch you and by the way this idea of the a big deer you know his giant antlers all of his glory he gets snagged right in his glory uh, this big ox that's so good for all kinds of work it's so strong like even if the farmer wanted to try to make him do something the ox could easily just push the farmer out of the way that farmer could hit him with sticks it wouldn't even matter he wouldn't even carry we just sit there and eat even the biggest and strongest animal on the farm can be led to the slaughter It's kind of amazing. Foolishness ruins, but wisdom sets people free. Church, we got to run for wisdom. We got we got to run for wisdom. Again, this is the message, part 2. We've got to pursue wisdom. We got to pursue wisdom. What does that mean this week? Specifically what it means is we've got to let go of every adulterous, every prostituted soul mentality, worldview and practice that we have. We just got to let go of that stuff and we've got to grab a hold of wisdom. Wisdom that is relational. Wisdom that is familial. Wisdom that says if it's not good for you then it's not good for me. It's got to be good for both of us. Wisdom that is out in the open, not concealed, wide open, tells the whole truth. We've got to run for that. Amen? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Awesome. Happy Sunday. Tell you what, let's do this. Before we uh, leave, let's pray here for a bit. We're going to pray for a couple things. Why don't we stand up, if you don't, if you don't mind. I have this feeling God just wants to maybe do some stuff here with us this morning. Hmm. Hey, why don't we put our hands out like this, just to connect our bodies with our hearts for a moment. It's not voodoo, it's just... It's just saying, God, all of me wants what you have. Um, while you're doing that, I, I will tell you this, I for- totally forgot... This morning's message, I know it's a word from the Lord. Um, before I get up in the mornings, almost every morning, I usually, because I'm sleepy, I usually like to just check out ESPN and see who won the ball games. And I'll, I'll read a story or two on ESPN, then I get out of bed. This morning I was really, really tired because I'm an old person and I stayed up too late last night. And I read everything I wanted to on ESPN. I thought, ah, I'll check Facebook. And I pulled up Facebook, and the very first post on my Facebook was a friend of mine, a, a, a girl that, that Heather and I know, a friend of mine, who posted, it's terrible when you think you know someone only to find out that your husband's been cheating on you, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, oh my goodness, here I am, I'm going to preach a message on the adulterous heart. And the very first, the very first post that I see this morning is a girl just bemoaning the fact that her husband's been running around on it. This is for us. It's for us. Like, this is something the Holy Spirit wanted to say to us this morning. So let's pray here just for a bit. Is that be all right? Lord, we need wisdom. And God, we ask that you would give us grace to, uh, to, live, to live in your flow. God, we want to we have grace to live in your kingdom. Father, we ask uh, that, you would, that you would give us grace to wake up 
God, to all the areas in which maybe, uh, maybe just a prostituted heart has set in. And God, we ask that you, would, that you would wake us up to that. Father, we ask that you would give us grace to deal with it. Father, we, we want to be people who are like Jesus. So we say, come Holy Spirit. God, you said in James that if anybody lacks wisdom, he should ask for it because you'll give a bunch and you won't even think they're crazy for asking. And so, God, we just ask. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just wait on the Lord for a minute. We just wait on you, Lord. God, we want to give up transactional life. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Jesus. Hey, before we, before we get out of here, um, just while we're hanging out here for a minute, is there anybody here who, who just needs to... Uh, be a follow, become a follower of Jesus. Anybody here never followed Jesus in their whole life and they just like today they need to. Like they need to. Like anybody here need to get saved? We'll just put it in Southern Baptist parlance for a moment. Anybody here need to get saved? If, you, if that's you, just put your hand up. Is there anybody here? There's the Lord. There's grace here for people to come into the kingdom. Anybody here? One right here? Okay. Hang on. After the meeting, we want to pray for you. Anybody else here who's never said yes to Jesus? Like you just never said yes to Jesus. I know it's awkward to put your hand up in a room this big, but it's, it's cool. Like everybody here is cool. We've all done this at one time. <laughs> Anybody else? All right. Well, Lord, we want to be wise. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to commodify people. Amen. Amen. Give somebody a high five and a hug. Go in peace. Happy Sunday. The Mass has ended.